1: G'day and welcome to High Resolution. I'm Chris Button, content producer at BiteSide. Mighty Kingdom is one of the fastest growing studios in Australia. Located in Adelaide, South Australia, the studio employs more than 140 developers across the country working on projects including games based on famous IPs from Lego and Disney. Recently, Mighty Kingdom launched Conan Chop Chop, A chaotic roguelite that transforms the typically adult-focused Conan the Barbarian franchise into a more family-friendly cartoon outing. Initially announced on April Fool's Day in 2019, the development of Conan Chop Chop was far from smooth sailing, with multiple factors leading to delays along the way. Ever resilient, the team pushed through, successfully launching the game earlier this year. Today, joining me on High Resolution are Kim Kimbo Forest, studio creative director, and Jeff Wong, producer on Conan Chop Chop. Together, the duo share deep insights into their career, working for a progressive studio like Mighty Kingdom, and what happens when things don't go exactly to plan. A recurring theme of this chat is that sometimes game development is quite literally about the friends we make along the way. Let's start with Jeff's interesting journey into the games industry.
2: Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting one. Um, I mean, I've always loved games, even as a kid. I'm kind of that kid that was always obsessed with playing games, like of all types. Um, but I guess as as like growing up, I didn't know how to get in. There wasn't really a path in to the industry. I kind of just knew that games existed. I guess somebody made them, but it was never really an option on the table for me, Uh, because there was no pathway that I could see. So I guess I got into it. Um, I I mean, I've always wanted to, but I actually considered it more seriously when I was in between. I was like in a gap between a bunch of bizarre careers that I've been hopping (laughs) in between. Um, And then I actually volunteered at Mighty Kingdom um, just to see what it's like working in the industry. Um, And then having spent a little bit of time there, a position opened up and... I kind of got in that way. Um, But yeah, it was always on my radar. Um, It just kind of took an opportunity to appear in front of me to be like, oh, wow, there's actually a way to get involved in this. So a bit of a roundabout answer for you, but um, yeah.
1: (laughs) Before I get to Kim or Kimbo, as I'm reliably informed, uh, everyone refers to him as, Jeff, you you mentioned a, a bit of a a mishmash of previous experiences uh, with work and, and that sort of thing. Did you find there was anything in particular that was transferable to games, or have you jumped from something completely different into what you're doing now?
2: Yeah, so I I absolutely did jump from some like bunch of things that are completely different and seemingly unrelated to games. But I always believed there are transferable skills you can take from anything that. That you've done in the past. So, I guess for example, um, I am a pharmacist. So, I studied pharmacy in university, and I worked as a pharmacist for seven years. Uh, like transferable skills-wise, I guess attention to detail is something that's very important in pharmacy because if if you don't catch something and a mistake slips through, then people end up in hospital. So, it's a very serious. It's a thing that we take very seriously in that industry, uh, and in applying that into say like QA or production, like looking at something under like a microscopic lens uh, I definitely feel like that has honed my attention to detail Um, and then I guess moving on from there like I did a bunch of online business uh, that had like business acumen it's always helpful I was a magician I performed and I did like some stuff on stage so that helps with communication public speaking just a bunch of random things that all like, if if you dig a little bit beneath the surface, there is always something that's transferable and valuable that you can take wherever you go.
1: On that last point, how many magicians does Mighty Kingdom have now? Because they did hire Matt Tarrant recently, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah,
2: that's right. So, I actually did work with Matt Tarrant um, on some fringe shows several years ago. So, we know each other from a little while back from the Magic uh, sphere so I, I believe it's just the two of us at the moment but I guess we're always open to more magicians because
3: <laughs> we should dig a bit deeper on that and actually find out the the real stats because I bet you there's more and we're probably approaching like magician critical mass <laughs> so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I I can't think of any natural segue between magicians and asking you Kimbo what at what moment did you decide to work in video games? You're not harboring any, any secret magician talents that none of us are aware of?
3: No, not 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 in the traditional sense, I don't think. Um, I think um, I've managed to weave some magic somehow on throughout certain parts of my career, but no, I have no aspirations. I mean, I will say that, like, Jeff has done card tricks for me, that, and I'm one of those people that just has their mind instantly blown by it and cannot even believe the thing I've seen in front of me. So... I think I'm like a magician's dream really in terms of an audience member, because I just love having my mind blown by probably what is a really simple card trick. But to, to get to the question, and I'm going to really date myself here because, uh, I was in the late nineties. I was again, sort of similar to Jeff. Like there wasn't a lot of pathways into the industry around, around when I wanted to get in. Um, you know, I'd grown up loving video games like, like lots of people do. Um, still do to this day. And, you know, tampering with modding, and even though I was never great at it, tampering with that, writing my own game design documents, like it's a pretty common story, I think. And working in a job that I really hated, and then a very close friend of mine was sort of in a similar position, and, and that she was like, let's do this course. And to date myself again, I have a diploma in multimedia, which is a word that no one even uses anymore. Um, So that sort of gives you an example. But that was that was probably about twenty two years ago now, so it's it's been a while. So halfway through that, there was there was the only shop in town in Adelaide was was a games company called Ratbag Games, um, most famous for probably Power Slide, which was a really popular arcade race, like post apocalyptic arcade racer. Um, And halfway through that study, I. A friend of mine said, I know the lead designer at Ratbag. You should meet him at the pub for a beer. So it's kind of an old school story, definitely. And like I went to the pub for a beer and sort of pitched myself. And he was like, you should come in and and be part of the QA team. And from that point on, you know, I I saw, I I, I described my career as a mixture of sort of luck mixed with hard work and good timing. Um, So I saw my opportunity to really push the things that I think are important to get to making good games. And that was recognized. And then I said, and the rest is sort of what I've done since then. Um, So, yeah, it was always a thing, you know, like Jeff, like it was one of those things where it's like, you can actually do this for a living. Like, you know, back then I think now, now people are more like, yeah, this is a legitimate career path that you can take almost anywhere in the world, especially now with remote, remote work, it's even more accessible. But back then it was just like, you know, I think when I was born, there wasn't even, our jobs didn't even exist so um yeah, so it's it's been a ride, and it's been one that you know like it's a, it's a it's a tough industry to survive in, but it's also like I would not have it any other way.
1: Is there a game during your time working in in the video game industry and even prior to then that either one that you've played on or one that you've developed that you feel has had the strongest impact on your career to date?
3: Yeah, so th- th- these are tough questions to answer because, you know, there's so, like, everything everything that I've done, you know, creatively in this industry has been influenced by so many different games. But, like, whenever this question comes up, I do recall a moment at Bag, like, which was a real formative part of how I started to understand game development and, and what's important to games. But at Bag, I remember um, – Walking into, we had a big boardroom with the TV set up and, and a PlayStation Two. To date myself again, set up and um, and someone was playing GTA Three, and they were you know they were jumping out of cars, running around, getting into other cars, and then and you know most of us were just stood there, sort of awestruck by this like this this absolute mainstream video game game changer. And I think that was when you know getting and then getting deeper into that game, the depths the, the depth of the game, the story. Um, the variety that the players presented with, the choices the players presented with, the meta game, everything that like the, just the the whole like encompassing immersive feeling of that game was just a real was a was a shift in how I thought about things. And I think the whole industry thought about things, even though people you know people will say oh, there was other games that did that before that. But you know, from a mainstream like mass market point of view, that was the one that really shifted it for me. Um, but there's so many others. Like I love. I love the Mario series like everyone does, Zelda, the Batman Arkham games, you know, um, just any game that delivers a really, like, quality, deep experience that feels really authentic. And in terms of games that I've worked on, I think, again, right at the formative early days of my career at Ratbag, um, we worked on a lot of dirt track racing games, which is, you know, which which are Sims with a car on a dirt track. Just going round in circles, um, or in an oval, I should say. I'll upset fans that hear this. Um, hopefully, they won't. Those games show, like, really exposed to me what what games mean to hardcore fans and what their expectations are, um, and you know their their understanding of the content that you're working with, the, like the subject matter you're working with, and and the bar that they've set that you have to hit. So yeah, they're, they're sort of they they're the ones that jump out at me to answer that question
2: similar to what Kimbo said there are there are so many um, I guess through the years of playing games growing up but a few of them definitely jump out at me Uh, I guess like there are three that come to mind and the first two definitely are games that I played and I distinctly remember my level of obsession with these games was off the charts Uh, so like Street Fighter 2 like Street Fighter Alpha that era of like fighting game um that was probably my first real like deep obsession into playing games I would buy magazines that they used to have magazines with like tips on how to play this character um back in the day um I used to carry a magazine around with me everywhere to like learn the combos the motions and I just played that so much um and then second to that a little bit of a different genre completely would be magic the gathering which is the trading card game um so going through high school i remember just being that kid at lunchtime that was at the table with all the other nerds just with cards playing just like every day um not doing (laughs) any like any other like Lunchtime activities that the other kids were doing, we were just playing Magic the Gathering literally every day. And it got to a point where I was like saving like the card list from every set, going through them to like come up with like pre-constructed deck concepts. It was like, it was insane. Um, but I guess like, so my final answer, I suppose, uh, in terms of like a game I played that really, really hit home for me would be World of Warcraft. Um, It's probably not a super exciting answer because it's probably an answer that a lot of people give. But I just found that for me, World of Warcraft, it combined so many elements that I didn't really know could fit together in a game to create an experience that it did. Like it had combat, which I obviously enjoyed. It had like the RPG element. It had a deep storyline that I really kind of got immersed in. And it was, of course, like the massively multiplayer online experience. Um, I mean, the the only other MMO I'd played prior to that is Ragnarok Online. I don't know if anyone even knows what that is. Uh, It's, yeah, it's like an older one. But like World of Warcraft, it really cemented like my love of games as a team because it kind of allowed you to strategize as a group and hit objectives as a team, like you kind of it kind of is almost an analogy to game production in a way um, unintended segue where each person kind of has a specialty and you're responsible for the thing that you are an expert in and together you work together to overcome a particular objective or goal, uh, which is very much like making a game. Um, so yeah. And I guess like World of Warcraft, I, I just spent so many hours of my life in that game that I think it would be not be right if I didn't give that as my answer.
1: <laughs> I agree with what you said. I think World of Warcraft would be particularly formative for, for a lot of people for various reasons and some similar to your own as well. well one thing I, I am curious and touching on that point about how game development teams bring together so many specialties, so many disciplines to work on a complete game and a completed product. I'm very curious as to how Mighty Kingdom approaches this because Mighty Kingdom being one of Australia's largest uh, game studios and is still rapidly growing with a lot of the government initiatives that are starting to roll out. How, how are teams distributed between different projects or how are people distributed between different projects such as Conan Chop Chop or Star Trek Lower Decks, Ava's Manor or any of the other projects that Mighty Kingdom's working on at any given point?
3: It's an interesting question. Um, and it is certainly, you know, anyone that's worked in a company that's gone from, you know, 30 to 40 people over three years to 160 people will tell you that it's no easy feat. Firstly, we've had a fairly aggressive hiring policy. Um, in that we had we 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 went to the IPO, um, built the capital to be able to achieve the goals that we've set for ourselves. So, um, we've we've done aggressive hiring, and what we try to do is we try and hire experts and specialists in different areas, and then put them with if if they're newer to the industry or if they're new to the company. Even we try and structure the team so that there's Sort of seasoned old heads from the company as part of that team, and then some of the younger, more junior or or less MK initiated in that team. Um, and we do operate in a way where you know you, you might not be on a single game at a time. You might, depending on what skill set you have and the things different projects need, you might find yourself working between two projects over the course of a couple of months or whatever. We also try really hard to accommodate. Um, what people want to work on. Um, we certainly are a company that makes games directed at a market. We're not. We don't just sit around and think. I would like to make this game, and then we make that game. We we think very strategically about who our games are for and who who we're going to which fan base we're going to build a game for. And then within that, we try and we try and align people that um, are going to work on those games. We try and make sure that they have the knowledge of what that game is and what those fans are expecting, and and that they want to but they want to take ownership over something like that to, to deliver the best possible quality outcome. Um, Yeah. In terms of prioritization, that's sort of a real businessy thing that is, is done by the executive team in terms of how we manage that. Um, But so far we've been able to really do a great job of servicing all the games that we need to, to, to get out there. And, you know, every, one of the, one of the fantastic things about Mighty Kingdom, I think is, um, even though we have hundreds, collectively hundreds of years of experience making games, we attack it from the point of view of that of the fact that we can always do it better, we can always learn more about how we're doing things in different ways and every new person we bring on can contribute a, a new way of thinking um, which speaks to our, our policy on diversity hiring in terms of, there's a bunch of reasons why we hire diversely but one of the key ones from a business standpoint is that, it, is that with more diversity in, in the personnel you have in your team, the more diverse results you'll get, the more diverse ideas you'll get and your comp- it will strengthen your, your games and your company. I
2: guess, yeah, it's kind of pairing people with strengths that they can perhaps distribute to other team members in their discipline um, and structuring our team so that uh, it's cohesive. Everyone is... Uh, kind of aware of what the the team's objective is and so each discipline would kind of have its own focus but then interdisciplinary work and like tasks would also exist so then there's a lot of collaboration so I think we really believe in uh, teams working cross-discipline to achieve goals so like for example like a game designer Um, will not only work with other game designers they will get the opinions of the tech artists the art team the programming team because we believe everybody has a different perspective and something to offer that is worth consideration Um, not to say everything that's thrown out will definitely be incorporated but i think it's really important that everybody is open to suggestions from people even outside of their like quote-unquote discipline of expertise
1: can you describe the day-to-day experience of working for a studio like Mighty Kingdom? Because there's been a lot of press about the move to a four-day working week and a lot of the the progressive uh, hiring policies and uh, leave policies that Mighty Kingdom has enacted. How how does it feel or what, what is the day-to-day experience of working for Mighty Kingdom like?
2: I love working at Mighty Kingdom. I think it's a really great place to work. Uh, I think, first of all, it's really, I really love it. And the the main reason is because it's simply a collection of really, really beautiful people all in one place. Um, I mean, like four-day work weeks are amazing. Like you'll never really hear me like say anything bad about that. You know, it's just, it's great. It it helps improve your work-life balance. I feel like um You do have like less time essentially during the work week to complete your objectives and your tasks but people are more focused because um, they have the capacity on that extra day off to take care of other things like going to the bank or um, making an appointment that otherwise would have been very difficult to fit into a work week. Um, So, that's really, really beneficial I find. Uh, The other thing, I guess like the day-to-day um mighty kingdom we we use very agile approach to our development um and i guess one of the main things about being agile is that it's very important that nobody enforces particular rules to the nth degree um everything is kind of up for discussion we are really really big believers in continuous improvement so um Obviously, like not, not everything is perfect all the time. There are definitely things that we, as a company, and just as as people, like we are definitely wanting to work on. But I think the the main, most important thing is the sense that people are willing to take a step back, look at what like particular maybe an incident had happened, like take a look at what happened, reflect on that, and then take the means to improve that so that it's better in the future Um, I think that's much more important than trying to maintain like a facade of perfection at all times I think it's much more constructive to say hey look we didn't do this great this time why was that and everybody uh, is encouraged to give their opinion so we can workshop as a team to formulate a better plan moving forward
3: I think we de- definitely, you know, like I think one of the strengths of Mighty Kingdom, even though sometimes there's there's misalignment here and there, I think we were all singing from the same sheet, right from the top. Phil, our our founding, our founder, he's very good at at getting people to understand what the cultural values of Mighty Kingdom are and what's expected of everyone from a, on a day to day basis. Um, so, I mean, I can't I can't really add much. I, I, I wouldn't change anything that Jeff said there, to be honest. Um, I guess the thing that I would add is that, you know, and, and we'll, we'll get to chop chop, I'm sure, but you know, there's, I think there's an interesting perception from outside the games industry. Like whenever I talk to someone out and they're like, what are you doing? It's like, i make games. And they're like, that must be so much fun, blah, blah, blah. And like, it absolutely is. And like I said at the start, I would not change my life for one instance. But it's very difficult, right? Like bringing, bringing people together, um, getting them all aligned to pull in the same direction, um, it, it presents challenges. Um, luckily, Mighty Kingdom, as Jeff said, has an incredibly talented and dedicated um, bunch of people that that is good at overcoming those challenges. But, you know, like we said, like making the right game, getting it polished to the level um, and having between 10 and 30 40 50 people working on a team getting along and making sure that that is fairly harmonious it's a, it's a tough ride um, so it's certainly it's certainly like it's certainly one of those things that you need to be cut out for um, and you need to be up you need to be have the resilience to, to push through those tough moments because they definitely exist. Um, but you know they're far outweighed by, the the fun that you get to have working with people, the the content that I get to look at daily from our people, where I'm just like, oh my god, the talent in this studio is just mind blowing. Um, there's so much there that just that is that is just that makes Mighty Kingdom special, and it's what's al- and it's and it's what's always made me. And I know there's lots of other companies, you know, that that have their own special things. But it's always made me, you know, it's been my favorite job I've ever had in the 22 years I've been doing it. Um, it's, it's, and it's the best company I've worked for um, by a long way. And it's, it's, just, it's a great place to to be. Like I would not change it for the world.
1: Well, let's run with the special part of your job for for the moment. What has been particularly special? To, to you, Kimbo, about working on Conan Chop Chop?
3: So I think one of the things that probably wasn't it, – it's always been there, but it probably wasn't super obvious is that Mighty Kingdom has a special talent for for taking something and kind of subverting it a little bit. Um, Chop Chop is uh, – Conan, Conan has a brand. You know, he has a history of being quite adult-focused sort of very hyper violent you know sexualized like there's a lot of stuff there and the idea with funcom was to be like okay what if we like cartoon like saturday morning cartoon this and made a, a game for everyone and i think the way that that you know the way that it came together early um some of the direction around that was really really well put together and then the way the team embraced the idea of like we're taking this and sort of flipping flipping it on its head, um, and the team started to push each other in terms of in terms of like what what other quirkiness can we bring to this? What what you know as well as bringing a great deal of substance to the combat and to the enemy design over the journey that we went on to make that really strong. Uh, the boss design, all the cool like tickets to the game that make a good roguelike game. Um, just, you know, having people coming up with these like little crab bombs that explode and just this, this crazy stuff that we were allowed to do in a game like Chop Chop, because it is subverting what people expect from it. Um, that's one of the, that's one of the main things I love about Mighty Kingdom. And it's one of the things that, you know, as, as a creative lead in the studio, it's one of the things that I'll be continuing to push us on because I think it's something that fan it that really engages fans. Um, when you look, I, I often use Hades as a, a reference point as well. When you look at how Hades took, um, Hades took the, the sort of mythical gods thing and then made it about like an angsty teenage dude trying to get out of his bedroom. Like that, the cleverness around that, that is something that, that, you know, mighty kingdom holds dear. And I think we, we sort of are heading down a similar path to that. So yeah, that that's, that's what, that's probably my favorite thing is that, Is the like surprises I get to see, and I think, and I think it's what will will really take us that extra yard in terms of success. Is is that that's what fans will see and be like, "Oh man, these guys know how to like keep me on my toes."
1: I know from a player perspective, when playing through Conan Chop Chop. Certainly there was a lot of joy in those moments where you finally unlocked, say, a rainbow slime companion or had a a bow that shot exploding chicken <laughs> eggs or a chicken companion <laughs> that fought yeah. alongside of you uh, wearing all sorts of goofy little hats, like little Viking hats and those sort of things. So there's certainly a lot of those little little joyful surprising moments in Conan chop chop uh, so jeff what about you what what was special to you
2: about the development of conan chop chop so conan chop chop i guess for me i would probably go as far as to say it's it's for me it's been like a life changing journey to be honest it's been it's been an incredibly challenging journey um and i guess there are a lot of reasons for that like we we as a studio there were a lot of Um, Things we were doing for the first time as a team, uh, like creating a game that was going to be released on all the console platforms um, when everything else the studio had previously released was mobile titles. That was definitely an ambitious goal. um, And we had to learn a lot very, very quickly to be able to uh, accomplish that um so there were like certainly a lot of ups and downs a lot of twists and turns kind of like any good story really (laughs) um but I guess like along the way like despite I mean probably because of all the ups and downs like I felt like I've just built some incredibly strong bonds with all of the all of my teammates everyone I worked with and it was like an overall really really great experience um like it was challenging yes and and the team had to like yeah really struggle through some of those times but there were also some really incredible high moments of when like oh like we we submitted this build for certification and it was like against all odds seemingly we like we we managed to get there and that kind of euphoria you get as a team i feel like it's it's unlike anything else um and it's really beautiful so yeah, um, I, think, I think that's what it's all about, you know, like not to be all philosophical and everything, but life is about great experiences. And I feel like this particular project has given me a, a lot of different facets of what a great experience is comprised of.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.
1: You speak of, of great experiences and thinking beyond just the the product as well, but the experience of of making a game. And I know just prior to us starting recording, uh, Jeff and Kimbo you were talking about the special bond that you've developed while working on on Conan Chop chop. So tell us about this this special bond, this relationship that you've you've developed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure i mean like because kimbo and i um not not just us but like the two of us in particular we spent a lot of time um talking about the product and trying to work through some challenges and some blockers that maybe got thrown our way unexpectedly so we would often be speaking to each other outside of hours um like sometimes just having a, a a good old chat um work related or otherwise but you know like it it kind of was a foundation for us to just really go through a tough experience together um and yeah we we kind of call each other work husbands in a way because there there are definitely those
3: We discussed this and we said we wouldn't mention it.
2: <laughs> Sorry. I mean there are definitely those evenings where um like our respective partners would be like Are you are you done? Are you are you still talking on the phone? Like is it Kimbo again? It's like, yes it's Kimbo. I love talking to Kimbo. Um yeah so I mean it's I only see it as a positive to be honest. Um
3: yeah, I don't know how Kimbo feels about it though. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a bunch of reasons why why I, I choose to work in this industry, and one of them is to is to like make great things and have people have people engage in the things you make, and and to make money out of them, obviously, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but certainly like the relationships I've built over the years, um, is is a huge part of what what um I love about the job. And I think it's actually also a strength in a team when, you know, a, a, well-formed mature team that, that trusts each other, that knows each other, that can, that can understand the moments where they need to take things seriously, or they can goof around a bit and have a good time, you know, and not take things too seriously. All those things are really critical to having those high functioning teams. Um, and I think the leadership group, including Jeff, on this game set a really great tone for for building those trusting relationships, and which because it allows you to have the open conversations, the tough conversations about you know things that you that might need to be cut from the game because for whatever reason people are really attached to them. But they once you build that relationship of trust, it everyone knows that it's coming from a place of that 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 those calls and those discussions are coming from a place that are purely impersonal and totally about making a better game. So, yeah, I mean, Jeff and I, we we, we actually um, spent a lot of time working with Funcom as well, and they, our part, the partners we were working with from Funcom were in um, North Carolina. So there was some evening calls there, plus there was a connection in Oslo as well, so there was some morning and evening calls there. So we did sort of go around the clock every now and then with some of that communication stuff, which, again, you know, we managed to build a relationship with Funcom that is – if not the best, one of the best I've ever had with a publishing partner throughout my career. Um, the people we got to work with there were, were incredibly fun people, but also very smart and and pragmatic about what we were trying to do. And and always, even through, you know, the game went through some tough times, but always super supportive and always held the belief in, in, in and what shows in the review scores, which is like, there's, there's a beautiful thing in, in Chop Chop that people really engage with, um, so, yeah, those relationships are fun. And Jeff, you know, Jeff and I sort of share the same sense of humor where we're, you know, <laughs> we, just, we just enjoy hanging out with each other. But, you know, that I mean, we said it before about Mighty Kingdom, not to like – not to devalue my – my like Jeff and the, the, the friendship we've built. But, you know, I think <clears throat> one of the strengths of Mighty Kingdom is people, you know, people – come into the place and, and you know, for the most part, I'm sure that not everyone feels this way because it's hard to make this work for everyone, but I think for the vast majority, people come in and feel like it's a place that they belong and it's a place that they can, that they they feel generally safe to, to thrive in um, and be themselves in and not and not have any judgment. And I know, you know, Phil, to, to speak on behalf of Phil a little bit, you know, he's been in the industry, you know, almost as long as I have and, and we've seen the form that, We've seen a different form of the industry that um, that you know has it had its problems, and and you know what Mighty Kingdom is building is 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 trying to push away from that that thinking into which a lot of other companies are doing as well, which is great for the industry, but definitely trying to build a place where you know. Um, our strength is in our our strength is in our diversity and our ability to build those relationships internally and and build build trust so that we can like have conversations that need to be had to be able to excel.
1: Those relationships and those structures in place where we can sort of have those tougher conversations are so important when obviously things don't go to plan as is quite often the case in game development as as you read. Uh, you know, any any news article that comes out about a game that encounters a delay or uh, you know some other issues and that sort of thing and I know Conan chop chop encountered some delays with its development and um, you know had, had some challenges along the way how how did you find that you kept your own motivation and the motivation of the the team going throughout some of the tougher uh, the tougher moments
3: Almost all of the delays. Were generally for good reasons. The first delay was um, the first delay was after E3 when the general feedback was like, "This you need you need online multiplayer." It was originally just couch co-op multiplayer game. So the you know that was like this is good. The core of what's here is good. Let's make it better by adding online multiplayer. So that one was yeah, that was fairly early days. Um, And then beyond that, it was always basically like it needs more polish here. Let's, let's push it further in this direction. Blah, blah, blah. That was generally why the delays occurred. The morale of the team is there's a, there's a, there's a modicum, I think of good luck in that, that we had a team that was highly resilient as a group. Um, so when, when we did have news to discuss that maybe wasn't ideal for them, like, and this is a trade of mighty kingdom that I've noticed as well for the most part, um, People just attack it with positivity and go right. Okay, this is the news. This is the. They don't dwell on, like you know, we have the discussion about understanding what's what's going on, but there's no dwelling on like, oh, I wish it had turned out like this, or I wish it had happened like this. There's very much a there's very much a like, okay, what are we do next? Like, it, there's a very solutions focused uh, culture within the teams. Um, so you know, and I think you know, I think the leadership group again. I'll try not to take too much of credit for this, but the leadership group in general um, just just carried, carried itself with it, with it in, a, in a way that was always very positive and always like, you know, let's keep moving forward on this because we love what we're doing, especially with Chop Chop. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, like I've worked on a bunch of games and, and you know, I worked on Chop Chop for like th- two of them, whatever, a long time. And I'll still sit down and play it now and I love it. So that made it easy as well where people believed in it because even as developers who'd been working on it heaps and playing it heaps, we still all really enjoyed playing and we knew that what was there was something cool.
2: Yeah, I I would agree. Like I think um, the delays and then like the change, the pivots and changing of directions... Uh, is is not always easy for a team to take on because often it means you have to throw out a bunch of work that you worked really hard on and then you have to start again um, from the drawing board. But I think everyone kind of had a sense of like there is something about this game, this concept um, that we believed in. So I think that played a part in terms of carrying through and keeping people's spirits up it was definitely like also a factor of resilience and I think when like certain key people approach like a a difficult situation a particular way and are able to rally the rest of the team to like you know embody that spirit then you kind of you kind of tackle it as a team instead of like a bunch of individuals that are like disgruntled about, oh, but I worked really hard on this particular feature and now it's getting cut. And um, I mean, like there are definitely some of those sentiments, but I think that is overshadowed by the, the bigger picture in that, hey, look, we are a team and we might have a new objective now that has just come through because of reasons that are out of our control as a team. So let's just... Look at what we've got in front of us, and how can we make this the best thing possible? So that was often the sentiment that the whole team used to tackle all of the blockages and challenges that came our way.
1: One of the specific examples that springs to mind is I remember seeing some of the uh, one of the early. Press footage or one of the early uh, sort of press kits with images of an earlier build of Conan Chop Chop, and what, one of the things that sprung to mind was I recall seeing some of the early um, some of the early images included ammo for bombs and arrows and that sort of thing. And now, uh, from what I recall playing in the game, it's on sort of a, a cooldown timer as opposed to an am- ammunition based sort of resource. Can, can you talk us through how you identify when something's not quite working
2: and what you have to do to, to then go and, and rectify it, Jeff? Yeah, sure. So, we, I think I mentioned before that we, we're very big on continuous improvement. So, I think the saying is like you need like to kill your darlings, right? So, people like we have like, like our game design team and the rest of the team as well, like would we put in a lot of effort to create what we think is a really, really good design or concept and then we we make that Uh, but we also have a ux team that will analyze like how does this actually feel for a player and our qa team has a a role in that as well Um, and then we also engage some like external play testing um, people that gave us feedback and that's always a really scary moment because you know like Any form of like waiting for feedback is terrifying. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like I think it's really, really important as something that a team and a studio does in that we will listen to the feedback. And what comes back, we know that it's not a personal attack on any of our own like talents or integrity or anything. It's just a very candid analysis of like, this is the experience I had as a player. I enjoyed this about the game. I didn't enjoy that about the game. And whatever feedback came back, uh, we would discuss as a team to try and think about, oh, so that th- that feature that we thought was really, really cool was actually not that great in practice. I think theory crafting and what what a game plays like in practice can sometimes be very different things. And we, we just really believe that we have to take that feedback on board. And I guess that's why it's led to some of the, uh, the pivots and the changes in direction. And like the change in the ammo resource system was one of those. Um, it was remarked as like, just not a particularly fun mechanic to have this ammo, like this arrow stock that you would run out of, particularly because one of the characters was primarily an archer. So yeah, I think the workaround um, that we built in addressed those problems uh, for the most part, and it eventuated in a in a better design.
1: And how has the launch been? Because it's been roughly two months, one and a half months now since Kono Chop Chop has launched. How how has it been? What's the response been like, Kimbo?
3: Critically, it's gone really well. Reviewers really love the game. Um, Lots of our user reviews um, are, are super positive. Um, we did have a few early bug issues that you know are difficult to find until it's out in the wild, which we've patched some of and there's more there's, there's more patch on, patchwork on the way to resolve those issues. Um, the game hasn't hit the sales targets that we'd hoped, but there's work being done behind the scenes as well to adjust some of the ways we're going about marketing and things like that to, to try and change that. From from one point of view, we're really happy with how it went. But in terms of sales, it hasn't hit the targets we'd hoped, but we are, we are. We are learning a lot about that and how to improve that.
2: The only other facet, I guess, is maybe more pertaining to like internally as a team. So the, the launch, you know, whenever any product launch happens, it's always a really nerve-wracking time because as much as you believe in your product and the initial like early reviews you get back are like what you want to see, you never truly know how something will perform until it is out in the wild, so there was a bit of like apprehension around that time of course um, but I think since the the launch of the game, the feedback all the, well, the the scores that have come back have been have been like really positive, and the team has been really motivated by seeing those scores um, and yeah it's it's been like a really good learning experience, and the team is honestly very excited about what what comes next, like because we've learned so much on this journey, what's next like how how do we utilize these new skills, these new powers that we've acquired into the next thing?
1: I'm curious, um, especially uh, with what you were saying, Kimbo, about you know how the critical reaction has been strong, the player response has been quite positive as well, and you're clearly very proud of what the team has made, and you know going as far as playing the game after finishing or after releasing, uh, which I think is a, a pretty positive sign that uh, you've you've made a, a good game. Um, when when you encounter a scenario like when you haven't reached particular sales targets, what support systems are in place to to sort of get around the team, you know during what what may be a, a bit of a bittersweet moment.
3: Yeah, I think we just generally we just fall back on on what what we leaned on throughout development throughout development and what we generally try to put around the team, um, which is you know open channels to discussion and and you know frank questions and answers about you know where we could have done things better and and you know which speaks to which speaks to partially to Jeff's. Um, sort of calling out the idea of our continuous improvement of like, okay, you know, some of the things, some of the things here are out of control, out of our control, which we can leave to whoever else needs to worry about that. But the things in our control, what could we have done better? So we start to look at that in terms of like the personal support. I think generally there's, you know, at at all, at all levels of the company, there's a fairly open dialogue, open forum to, to, Raise questions or express, you know, have those vulnerable moments where you're expressing your disappointment and and sharing it with the team. I think, you know, the wins, the wins and the losses in, in any team sport, you gotta you you go through them together. We put up a decent show when it comes to looking after our people in every way, especially when you know things don't go exactly as we, we'd hoped. Um, so we we try to manage that with a lot of care and 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 respect and and, and discussion essentially. There's a, there's a shared sort of mostly unspoken, sometimes spoken out loud knowledge that like everyone at MK is working as hard as they possibly can for success, you know, regardless of whether they're, I call it the MK project, right? We have a bunch of projects, game projects, but then we also have the MK project, which is the business as a whole. And, you know, even there's, there's lots of people, there's several people at MK now that, that, don't work specifically on projects, but work in finance or whatever else. Um, and they're as important as, as the developers, you know, in terms, of, in terms of the success of the MK project. So there is this understanding that everyone's, you know, people make mistakes, everyone's working in the same direction to make us a success. And in the pursuit of success, people are going to make mistakes here and there. And there's, a, there's a definitely a, a leaning towards forgiveness and, and like holistic, let's move forward to the next thing.
1: Jeff, you did allude to that uh, as well in terms of looking forward to the next thing, looking forward to what's next for Conan, what's next for the team. So, w- what can you share about what's what's next for the the people who have worked on Conan Chop Chop, and, and what's next for the game or whatever other projects you're working on?
2: <laughs> yeah, so there are some things we can talk about some things we can't really talk about but i guess there are sure. there are projects on the horizon um that uh people are really excited to be engaged with um yeah and definitely utilizing the learnings on this particular journey uh, but not just this one like the journeys of the other projects that um that we have at mighty kingdom as well um like yeah it, it's also the same analogy again of like people with different experiences and different levels of expertise coming together to create something new or tackle a new challenge. So people that maybe worked on a mobile game that was very narrative focused like that expertise we could definitely use Um, and the combat experience that the Conan Chop Shop team um, really learned is something that perhaps we can combine those two elements into whatever the next product is going to be. Um, so yeah, I, re- I really believe that everybody is upskilling constantly in their respective um, fields, regardless of which project they're on. Um, there's definitely an appetite for something similar to Chop Chop again. So uh, we're looking to have something like as like a spiritual successor of some sort um, on the horizon.
3: Oh man, there's so many things. <laughs> I think we have we have more releases coming this year that I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, and seeing 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 the journey for Chop Chop, I think it's. I, I feel positive that you know what's there is really strong because I've seen I've seen in my own lounge room, you know, my son and his mates going crazy, screaming at each other in four player co-op. So I still think Chop Chop's got some legs over the journey. Um, but we have yeah, we have so much going on. Some of which is public, some of which is not. Um, that. It just gets me excited about the next six months to four or five years of of Mighty Kingdom and where we're going to, where we're going to see it go. I think, you know, we, people talk about us being the biggest independent Australian developer. I think, you know, if, if things go in the direction that we're we're seeing right now, I think we'll we'll see, we'll see that title change to something far beyond that. Um, I think that, Phil's ambition has always been huge and, and our goal, our internal goals and our planning matches that ambition. So yeah, pushing, pushing further beyond. And, you know, the fact that we're, you know, I have a secret list of, of of brands and IPs that I want to tick off working with. And I've ticked off a bunch of them, but like, um, Star Trek, Lower Decks, you know, tick Star Trek off the list. Like there's, and there's more of that to come for us, um, which is, as well as our own original IP, which is certainly a huge part of where we're headed as well. So, so yeah, the, 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 like there's so much um, that is exciting. Um, but also just, you know, seeing, seeing the growth of the group that we have and adding more to that and just watching us, watching us be the things that we, we say we are, which is a place where, you know, grads can come in and build a career from the ground up from Mighty Kingdom whether they stay with us or go on to, to other things, um, a place where, where, you know, people that probably never thought they could creatively lead a a video game project might get the opportunity to do that. Like there's so many exciting things from a, from a release to a, to a business point of view that that are just incredible about the company, which, 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 which points back to what I said at the start about, you know, like I've worked for a bunch of companies and they were all pretty good companies in general. But this one, just there's just something special about MK um, that, that, yeah, that gets me excited.
1: And why should people care about video games, Kimbo? Uh,
3: I had to write notes on this because it made me really think, like, why should people care? Um, and there's, like, a bunch of reasons people should care, uh, but I'll try and keep it fairly brief. Like, firstly, they're a fantastic form of entertainment, right? Whether you are into, like... Match three puzzle, or you're into like soul. You you're you're self-loathing enough to love soul's likes. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they're great entertainment. And I have three children. I'm a gamer. My wife's not super into it, but she does play some games. And when I look at like the dollar, we spend we spend a fair bit of money on video games. But when I look at the dollar value of the entertainment we get per like hourly out of the dollar, it's incredibly good value. <laughs> Um, so, but I think, you know, like, like novels did and then like movies and TV has before video games, they sort of define and steer our culture and they create new ways of thinking. They create new ideas. Um, and if you're not paying attention, then you're going to miss out on on a lot. Um, so really I think, and, and, you know, as well as that to touch on a few other things, like there's games that are um, you know that that bring like social conscience into the fore? There's there's so there's it's it's you know there's so many sub genres and sub sub genres and just different ways of using games to for entertainment for education everything like there's just it's just you know over the next ten to twenty years it's going to become such an intrinsic pl- way, part of how everybody lives um, that. If you're not paying attention, then you probably haven't got much going on. <laughs> no offense, everybody.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I had quite a few thoughts about this This one. Um, I guess, like, in terms of video games or just games in general, I feel like it's really unique as a form of media because traditionally, like, books um, and movies, TV shows, all of that, like, They are one-directional media, so the consumer just consumes the media, which I love to do, by the way. Um, But games, I feel like they're an interactive media, so it's like a next level of engagement that they can provide that previous forms of media were not really able to do. And I guess as a result, um, I feel like games can tell really incredibly powerful stories Um, in addition to providing that layer of entertainment that you would get from watching a movie or reading a novel. Um, So, I guess like to get a little bit philosophical again, um, for me, I feel like games, I think people should care about games because of the potential of them. I feel like games as a medium can really be an agent and an influencer of positive change just in the world. Um, I think... For me, like growing up, like I, I read a lot of fantasy novels and there are characters that you naturally identify with. And I, at least for me, I, I started to take on some of the characteristics, like positive traits of this character. And that was from a one-directional form of media. But in a game, like you can actually let someone step into that character's shoes and they walk themselves through the telling of a story. And that level of engagement... I just believe that's an unparalleled empathy. Like you, you get a level of empathy that is more elevated than what you would get from One Directional Media. Um, so, I guess like that, I feel like that's really important um, because you can tell in, like important stories, you can highlight um, perhaps like social issues, um, things that... Are uh, in our world that we could do better at as a human, as, as, as a species, and I guess like a, like a like an extension of that is is also something that I'm very passionate about, um, which is like the broader area of serious games, where um, you can make games that have like a primary purpose of improving people's lives in a targeted way. Um, I feel like that particular space has yet to erupt, I think it's, it's coming, and I think it's going to be very powerful and like world-changing in, in the best way. So it's very exciting, I think. I think people should be paying attention because I think it's coming.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.